Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. Well, good morning, everybody. Isn't it awesome to hear what God is doing through Teresa and then Jen? Thank you, ladies, for sharing. If you're new to our church, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and uh, I want to begin by taking a poll. It's a very common question. If you had a choice to choose one day at the beach or in the mountains, which would you choose? So I'm going to give you a moment to gather your answer, beach or mountains. So raise your hand if you would choose the beach. You have one day. Oh, okay, interesting. Okay, so beach hands down. Mountains. Wow, you guys surprised me. Okay, I think mountains win. So I thought about this question for 40 years of my life, and I'm finally ready to give an answer. I would choose the mountains too. And uh, growing up, our family would take a vacation often to Estes Park, Colorado, in the Rocky Mountain National Park. And so I have just a lot of fond memories of being in the mountains. One of the features of Rocky Mountain National Park is Trail Ridge Road. Anybody been on Trail Ridge Road? Okay, we've got a few there. So it's a highway that goes through the mountains, and it elevates up to 12,000 feet. So you get some amazing views of the mountains. Well, there's an infamous moment in my life story uh, that was shared at my wedding reception by my brother. So it is completely out there. I have no shame in retelling it. So our family was on vacation in Estes Park, and we were taking the drive up Trail Ridge Road. And one of the things about Trail Ridge Road you've got to understand is there's segments of the road with sheer drop-offs on both sides of the road. And so even though I love the mountains, I have a fear of heights. Anybody else with me that they're afraid of heights? Okay, man, only a few? I feel so lonely up here. So I wish I could say I was five years old, but I was probably like 12 years old when this moment happened. And I have a younger brother and a younger sister. So my brother Matt's probably nine. My sister's probably three. So everybody is enjoying this drive up Trail Ridge Road except me. And the fear and the anxiety in me began to intensify. So not only do I have my eyes closed, I'm in the back seat of our minivan, and I am lying on the floor. Okay, so this 12-year-old boy lying on the floor in the back seat of the minivan. And I hit a breaking point. And everybody else is enjoying this drive. And my dad is driving, you know, just enjoying the mountains. And I begin to yell out in terror at my father who's driving, Dad, why are you trying to kill us? And I just kept yelling and yelling at him. It, it was an unforgettable moment for my family. So fast forward, many years later, Yvonne and I had the amazing opportunity to go on a mission trip with our small group back then to Costa Rica. And it was a fantastic trip. One of the last days, we went to the rainforest, and we ziplined 
in the rainforest. And so we're going through all these zip lines, and we're elevating through the rainforest. And we come to one of the final zip lines. And it was probably 30 seconds going over the top of the rainforest jungle. And I kept my eyes open. And I embraced the moment. It was one of the most awe-striking moments of my life. As Costa Ricans would say, pura vida. Life is good. So Rocky Mountains, Costa Rican rainforest. Two beautiful places. Two places high up and elevated, yet two completely different experiences. All because of perspective. All a matter of where I was at, where my heart and my eyes were focused. I want to suggest this morning that many of us, including myself, are often missing out on one of the best parts of the Christian life right now because of a matter of perspective, where our eyes, our hearts, and our minds are focused. And I believe in faith that God's word this morning is going to invite us to shift perspective. And if we do, it's going to be so good for our souls. It's going to keep us not only sane, but filled with hope in a crazy world. And it's going to help us to live full on for Jesus. So I just want to pray for us before we open up the word of God. So we join me in prayer. God, we thank you for your life-giving word. We thank you that your word is true and it's living and active. So may your word speak to the depths of our hearts and our minds uh, this morning. And God, I humble myself before you. I am your servant. May you anoint me and empower me by your spirit. And God, may you accomplish your kingdom purposes through this message. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Colossians 3. We're jumping into the middle of a letter that Paul is writing to the church of Colossae. So I want to give us a couple like highlights from the previous portions of this letter. So near the beginning of the letter, Paul writes this about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul is saying Jesus is the Lord of all. He is supreme over all things, and he holds everything together. Jesus Christ rules this universe. And then a little bit later in the letter, Paul gets a little bit more personal. He says, when you were dead in your sins... 
And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Before Jesus, we were dead spiritually. But God made us alive through the forgiveness and debt payment that the cross of Christ offers. And when a person encounters Jesus, who is a supreme ruler over the universe, that person's life is flipped upside down. Jesus makes an unbelievable difference right now and also for eternity in a person's life. So now Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So I want to share two main things from this passage. First, Jesus creates a new eternal reality and focus for his people. Jesus creates a new eternal reality and focus for us who know Jesus. And I want to walk through this verse by verse. So starting in verse 1 again. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Since you have been raised with Christ. As Christ has risen from the dead, the greatest moment in human history, so we too have been given a new beginning, a radically new life because of our union and connection and relationship with Jesus. And this is a life-altering, drastic, forever kind of change to our lives. There is a new eternal reality for us who know Jesus. And because of this new reality, we are called to set our hearts on things above. This verb, to set, refers to the orientation of a person's will. What a person will pursue, their drive and ambition. We esteem and applaud people in our world who have ambition and drive, don't we? But Paul here is talking about an ambition for things above. And one aspect of things above is Christ himself. It says where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is in a position of honor and power and authority in the heavenly realms. We, re- we need to remember who we are dealing with when we talk about Jesus. He is the most high. And when we are united to him, that means we belong to the one who has all authority and power. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Paul is being repetitive to emphasize this point. First, set your hearts on things above. Now set your mind on things above not earthly things. So as I was reflecting on these verses, 
I believe we have a major issue in American Christianity. The issue we have is we believe that what we see is it. What we see is all there is. We get full of thinking the things of this earthly life are all that life is about. And so what do we do? We set our minds and our hearts on earthly things rather than eternal things. What, what, what does this look like? It could be our drive for stuff, our ambition for status, our obsession with how we look and feel, our desire for comfort and pleasure. And the earthly things can easily create a this-is-it mentality. And this is not unique to us. This is a struggle throughout human history. Paul even addressed this in his day. In in writing to the Corinthian church, Paul basically says, if this is it, if this visible world is all there is, if there is no resurrection, no life to come, then this is what Paul says. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul is saying without the resurrection, we might as well live for today. That's all you got. That's it. My brothers and sisters, can I remind us this morning, this is not it. This visible world is not all there is. This is not it. May God in his power and authority break any thoughts and attitudes in us that lead us to believe that this is it. God is calling us to set our hearts and minds on things above. So what does that mean? First, I don't think this means we live with an escapist mentality and forget this world completely. We're not in the matrix. We have real lives and real responsibilities on this planet. Yet in the daily grind of life, what this means is we consistently look to Christ. He becomes the center and source of life, not temporary earthly pursuits. We think about Jesus often. We talk to him. We look to connect with him. We seek Jesus for help and strength and guidance. And we want to please Jesus above anything else and live our lives to honor him. Second, I think this is really important for us. We live with an eternal, heavenly perspective regarding the circumstances of our life in this world. Because of Jesus, our aims and ambitions are changed. Because now we think and live eternally, not just for today. It affects how we view trials and temptations and hardships because we know that they are only temporary. One day, all the struggles will end. There will be no more pain and suffering 
and Christ will make everything right. I believe too often we are missing this eternal perspective. We're missing out on the tremendous hope and peace that's available when we set our minds and hearts on things above. And I confess personally, I get so caught up in what I see. I get sucked into thinking that this visible life is all there is. We need each other's help to keep reminding us that this is not it. I don't know if you heard this story recently of the guy who had the longest fingernails in the world. Hopefully this picture will wake you up if you're dozing off. So gross. (laughs) So he hadn't cut his fingernails in 66 years. His fingernail on his thumb was the longest, measuring it at 77 inches long. They had to use a power saw to cut his nails. What would possess a person to do this for 66 years? Can you imagine trying to live with fingernails like that? How would you eat, brush your teeth, get dressed? It seems so ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And from a spiritual perspective, it's ridiculous for us to keep clinging to the old earthly life after we've been raised with Christ. And this is what Paul is trying to hammer home here in verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul is writing to people who are still physically alive. So when he says, for you died, he's talking about the old way, the old order of life that's centered on sin and self. It's dead. Your resurrection life with Christ has started. Your heavenly life has already begun. And it says that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This new life with Christ is secure. It's unable to be touched by anyone because it's protected by God. I'm still very moved by the baptism celebrations that we had at the retreat. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah, you can clap. (laughs) Baptism is such a powerful spiritual symbol of our resurrection life. When a person goes under the water... It's symbolic that their old life has been buried with Christ. And when they come up out of the water, it's symbolic that their new resurrection life has begun. Because they have been raised with Christ, as Colossians 3.1 talks about. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to baptize my brother, which was a tremendous privilege and moment for me. And... Um, I have to be honest, I held him under the water a little longer than is pastorally encouraged. I wasn't trying to drown him, I promise. I wanted him to always remember that his old life is no more. And I told him that afterwards. I wanted you to always remember that you have been buried 
with Christ and raised to new life. We need to keep remembering that our old life, where it's all about us, it's about earthly things, is dead. And the new resurrection life has already started. Jesus creates a new eternal reality and focus for his people. That's the first thing. The second thing is, for those of us who belong to Jesus, a glorious day and a glorious future is coming. A glorious day and a glorious future is coming. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. A day is coming when Christ will return. This is our great hope. Jesus is coming back. One day he will return and he will be fully revealed to all peoples and all creation as the true and glorious king. And it says right here, you also will appear with him in glory. We will appear with Christ in glory. We get to share in the amazing, mind-blowing glory of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, our future together is glorious. We have no idea how amazing and how incredible our forever is going to be. It will be better than we can imagine. And you're not too young to think about this now. Last year, I read John Eldridge's latest book, All Things New, Heaven, Earth, and the Restoration of Everything You Love. And it was so inspirational, so hopeful for me. The whole book is about our glorious future when God restores all things. And a lot of what I'm going to share next is influenced by his book. Eldridge writes, How we feel about our future has enormous consequences for our hearts now. If you knew that God was going to restore your life and everything you love one day, if you believed a great and glorious goodness was coming to you, not in a vague heaven, but right here on this earth, you would have a hope to see you through anything. You would have an anchor for your soul. We need to think about our eternal hope and future. And I want to talk about a few of the incredible joys that await us. And let me start by reading from Revelation 21. It talks about the life to come when God makes all things new. And maybe just close your eyes for a moment as you hear these words of Scripture and try to imagine what this is going to be like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, 
and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So when I was a kid, I always imagined heaven being this place where we kind of float in the air. And scripture here implies that heaven is a temporary place until Revelation 21 happens. And then God ushers in the new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. So when Christ returns... The place we're going is not heaven as it exists now, but the new heaven and the new earth. God is going to renew and restore earth to a perfect and glorious place. And based on what I've studied and read on this, I would suggest that the new creation is going to be a lot more familiar to us than we realize. If God restores the earth as to how it was meant to be in the beginning, there'll be a whole bunch of things that we have already experienced, but not yet in its perfected form. Imagine this earth being fully restored to perfection. And the opportunity you will have to travel this world like you've never been able to, to explore the wonders of this world in the places you wish to go. Imagine animals and beaches and mountains with no fear of heights and all the other amazing features of planet Earth. Think about the joy that will be found in discovering and exploring the vastness of a renewed Earth. Imagine the opportunity to learn and enjoy music and dance and art an intellectual thinking in an uninhibited way. I have no music skills here on earth. So my hope is in the life to come. You watch out when we get to heaven. I'm going to be leading worship. So imagine being able to run and play in a perfected body with no more aches and pains. Revelation 19 talks about the wedding feast of the Lamb. Isaiah 25 is a prophetic word about the new creation where it talks about the Lord preparing a feast of rich food, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Yes, I believe there will be food in the new creation. If you are a foodie, you haven't tasted anything yet. Imagine being able to eat freely of the most wondrous foods and no more diets in the new creation. Amen? No more diets. We have a glorious future that awaits us in the new heaven and the new earth. Another joy to look forward to is perfect community. Going back to Revelation 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them 
and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. A lot of the pain in this life is due to relationships. Lack of relationship, imperfect relationships, or painful relationships. In our glorious future, relationships will have no more pain, no more brokenness. They will be renewed and restored to perfection. Honestly, we are so used to imperfect community, it's hard to imagine perfect community. But on that glorious day, relationships will be brought to a place of harmony and wholeness, and all people who know Christ will experience being part of a perfect family. I can't wait for that day. One of the things that I've learned to accept with this life on earth is it's seasonal and transient. Some of my best friends and brothers in Christ have moved far away, and I no longer see them. I no longer get to connect with them regularly. So I am looking forward to the new creation, uh, to be reunited, to catch up on our lives from planet Earth, and just to be with them again. There are people I can't wait to meet and talk to, heroes of the, the faith. Imagine talking with the Apostle Paul, or Moses, or Mary the mother of Jesus, or Joshua and Peter, and hearing their stories on life on earth. I can't wait to just be with my family, with Yvonne and my kids, thankfully know Jesus already, and just continue to share life with them. I can't wait to meet some of my relatives who I hardly knew because they passed away when I was young. My mom had two miscarriages. Um, So I believe on that glorious day, I'm going to meet my brother and my sister for the first time. There's so much to look forward to. The reunions and the community in our glorious future. And finally... For those of us who know Christ, the greatest joy of the life to come is that you will come face to face with your maker. You will stand before the most awesome and holy and majestic and compassionate and loving being that you could ever behold. You will come face to face with our great God and you will behold him in his glory. And you will experience the full measure of his unfailing, strong, pure love for you. All that has been broken in you, all that has been damaged, all that has been stolen on planet earth will be made whole and fully restored. And you will know peace. You will know acceptance. You will know grace. 
like you've never known it before. And you will experience untainted joy in intimacy with our great God. God himself is our great reward and prize. Oh, what a day to look forward to when we come face to face with God. And that glorious day is coming. It's not far off. So as I close, I want to just offer a couple practical next steps. The first one is to live now for that glorious day. Live now for that glorious day. C.S. Lewis once wrote, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Lewis is reiterating what Paul is saying in Colossians 3. Set your minds and your hearts on things above. Invest in what will remain on that day. Jesus told us the greatest commandments are to love God and to love people. Our relationship with God and our relationship with others is what will remain and last forever. So to live for that glorious day, we live for those things now. We invest in our relationship with Jesus Christ now. And we love other people by helping them get ready for that glorious day. People need to come to know Jesus in a real and genuine way to get ready for the glorious future. Build your life on what will last for eternity. Second, I've heard people talk about taking a few minutes out of your day to go on a mental vacation. So you check out from what you're doing for a few moments and you think about being in some place like Hawaii. A quick mental escape to imagine being on vacation. I want to suggest you do something similar in carving out new creation vacation moments. Find moments when you stop and you think about your glorious future. You think about the new creation, what what you will do in a restored and perfect earth. I've always wanted to go to Italy. If I don't make it in this life, I'm looking forward to the new creation when I can experience Italy. I imagine myself going running in the mountains. Who's joining me for a run in the new creation? You might like running in heaven. So. Think about the day when you will have perfect community. I think this is so important for us right now. If we're struggling with relationships or hardships and just broken community now, all these broken relationships will be mended and made right on that day. Imagine yourself standing before Jesus, your Savior, and the one who loves you more than words can express. 
This is part of what it looks like to be intentional, to set our minds and hearts upon things above. I find songs to be very helpful with this, songs that focus on the hope of our future to come. I, I think of songs like, I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me, or Jeremy Camp's There Will Be a Day, or Matt Redman has a newer one called One Day. So I want to end this message by leading us in a time of prayer to begin to set our minds and our hearts on things above and for us to spend a few moments taking a new creation vacation moment together. So would you join me in prayer and just begin to quiet your hearts before the Lord and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you right now. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.